All right, hi everyone, and welcome back to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. Uh, I'm Colin, the main host, um, and with me today, I have returning uh, a very special guest uh, who we interviewed last time, but is now joining me for discussion, uh, Fran from uh, Healthy Dose of Fran. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. I am buzzing with excitement right now. This is crazy. <laughs> so uh, this is going to start uh, a little segment series that we are going to be doing, uh, breaking down the most recent Avatar The Last Airbender comic book series, Imbalance. Um, so recently, about a month ago, we got the third and final part of Imbalance, and that completed the arc in its in totality. So we decided this is a great time to get into this. Um, obviously, there's going to be a few things that we're going to be talking about um, that are going to be referencing uh, some of the previous uh, comics. Um, mainly, the only one that there's direct ties to uh, for this one is going to be the Rift. Um, and But for the most part, you know, if you have cursory knowledge of it, awesome. But this is going to be a full deep dive spoilers in it and everything so if you have not had a chance to read those make sure you get out there go to your local comic book shop or whatever way you find your comics and uh, go and read this series it is awesome and as uh, you kind of hear us talk about it, it's it's a it's a really fun one to dive into um oh, gosh, so yeah <laughs> so without further ado i uh, just want to start off and talk about um this uh, series, uh, part one, we're going to be breaking down. Uh, we're going to be breaking each of these. Instead, when we did The Promise last time, we did all three parts in one podcast. Um, <laughs> and I realized, especially going through and breaking down a lot of these different parts, I was like, there's no way that we're going to be able to do all of this in one episode. Um, so we're going to be doing three separate episodes uh, discussing each part of imbalance. Um, so today we're going to be talking about part one, part, uh, part one. one, part one, <laughs> uh, insert star Wars scroll as it kind of begins. Oh to yeah. <laughs> First, um, that was earth. Then... <laughs> <laughs> Just slow pan down onto the avatar map. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, um, so part one in this new series uh, was written by a new writer, uh, Faith Aaron Hicks. Uh, the art was done by Peter Wortman, uh, colors by Ryan Hill, and the lettering by Richard Starkins, and comic crafts, Jimmy Betancourt. That's such a great name. Right? <laughs> uh, so before we get, begin, I, I, I first want to get into how this, uh, this series is such a departure from the previous uh, the previous five Avatar comics that were released up until this point. Um, starting with The Promise and going until North and South, um, the Avatar comics were written and drawn exclusively by uh, Guru Hiro and Jean Luen Yang. Mm. Um, this team was responsible for the first comics and up to that point, but now they decided to try out a different writer and try out a different artist to bring a new uh, perspective with everything. So uh, what was that like I, for you when you saw like 
it transition when they announced that they were going to be doing like a different artist and a different writer and everything since especially those the ones that Guru Hero and Jean Luen Yang did they are so true to the original art and animation style that it almost felt like a natural thing but yeah I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that what what your first takes were well it was definitely really different like I kind of wasn't expecting mainly because I hadn't actually heard that um Jean uh, Yang was leaving in terms of like the story and the artistry and such so when I first got it I was like oh okay this is very very different and then read the names I was like okay this explains why it's different but it was I actually really loved it considering it doesn't have the same art style as the series I find this almost more enjoyable because you can kind of see the separation from the show and kind of get this new feel to the series it feels kind of lighter in a way like the art in this is gorgeous and you can kind of tell that there's the detail and the shading i i know it's a really weird thing to kind of like focus on but the shading that they use in the art to kind of show the different tensions between characters is phenomenal and it's also kind of really similar to the um the turf wars series for legend of Korra as well they're very similar in art style so i kind of like that there's new like a new connection between uh, the new avatar comics and the legend of Korra comics as well especially with what the topic of this book focuses on that connection really kind of makes logical sense and it's just it was it was different but it was a really really good difference for me i think what about you yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I think it's interesting because I think that because we had five books um, with Jean Luen Yang and Guru Hero, it was it was easier, I think, to transition into a different art style with Imbalance, mm-hmm. where I think that with Turf Wars, I think it was a little more jarring for people because we didn't have that like immediate looks just like the art style from Korra mm. transition into the comics. And I think that that was also like uh, people were, you know, a little bit, it was, it was just, it was different and new, yeah. but um, I, I, yeah, I agree that it was, it's a, it's a really cool way to see the series in a different perspective. Mm. Um, so to kind of, to kind of get into the background of uh, first Faith Aaron Hicks, uh, she is a Canadian cartoonist and animator. Um, she is known for uh, being the solo creator for, uh, Zombies Calling and Friends with Boys. Uh, I have not read either of those, but now that I was kind of researching her, I really want to uh, look into it. And there's some other stuff that she recently has come out with as well. I was at the comic book store the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, I know her. And I was like, I want to read this stuff now. <laughs> um, it's always the case, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Uh, she was also a collaborator on Nothing Could Go Wrong and Buffy the high school years okay those two sound amazing (laughs) well it's so it's so interesting because um that she worked on Buffy because one in one of our uh previous episodes we had a guest uh Dave Roman on Mm. and he was talking about how when they were originally pitching Avatar the Last Airbender um kind of a lot of the elevator pitch was like you know imagine how Miyazaki meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer (laughs) And <laughs> which is just so buck wild. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's so interesting that, you know, I think it's this idea of a you know, a, a chosen one and this kind of ensemble cast uh that kind of comes with that. And I think it really uh those skills really translated. 
because I, I think as we'll get into this and we see, uh, like Faith Aaron Hicks does such a great job of balancing all of the different characters, giving like very true to character moments mm-hmm. um, that feel so much like them, but still kind of balancing and moving the overall narrative. Oh, forward. no, definitely, definitely. I've got to say, with the Buffy thing for um, the show, I feel cheated now that we didn't have a musical episode for Avatar. Uh. (laughs) Imagine Uh. Aang bursting out with a song about how he can't go into the Avatar state. Just, just, I can just picture it now, just like, he'd have the sort of, the very high-pitched, very feminine voice as well, just to, you know, really fit with the Ember Island player as well. Just, just everyone just kind of watching him as he sings along about how he just really struggles to kind of get the motivation to become the, to go into the Avatar state. And everyone's just, watching this before oh, i'm just i feel like i need to like <laughs> write this or someone needs to do this i just right brian and michael if you guys ever listen to this podcast you need to put a musical episode into the live action i'm just saying um you know copyright legend of podcast yeah. right i was that's what i was yeah, just yeah. thinking you heard, it hurt, you heard it here first folks <laughs> musical episode of avatar yes copyright absolutely. legend of podcast <laughs> yes um so getting into the artist, uh, Peter Wortman, um, he is an artist from uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and he is the creator of Over the Wall and Stonebreaker. Again, neither of these I knew about, but again, very interested in mm. because I really enjoyed his take uh, artistically and how it is such a drastic deviation from the true to life style that guru hero was able to implement yeah. in the previous books um so and of course dark horse is still publishing yeah. um I love dark horse. you know bless dark horse yeah. they oh my gosh the fact they have been i mean they are truly the champions of of avatar yeah. i think you know the fact that we've been able to get such a substantial collection of avatar tales through a single public uh, publisher yeah all of these years it's it's a it's incredible and uh like i i always tell people go get those books the library editions the individual comics oh my god the library editions (laughs) i've never been more grateful for library editions to exist than than with avatar they're just it's so amazing i feel like dark horse needs to become like a tv production company because they'll do a way better job than nickelodeon yes i agree (laughs) Um, so that's gonna, uh, now that we've kind of like set the stage here, Mm. uh, I want to get into first some things that we're going to be keeping in mind, uh, throughout this series and that we're going to be talking about some of the overall themes. Uh, the first is how this series is truly one of the like first in, in such a big way connecting to legend of Korra. Um, we are seeing elements throughout this story that are a direct coral uh, connection to the the future of, of like this world as a whole mm-hmm. in the scene or in the setting of uh, legend of Korra. Uh, the second is going to be bender and non-bender tensions. Uh, this is the crux of what the conflict is in this story. Um, and, you know, kind of talking about how, what we've seen not only in avatar, the last airbender, but also what it leads to and foreshadows into especially uh, Legend of Korra. And the third is the pros and cons of economic and technological prosperity. 
Um, this is again a, a a huge part of you know we're talking about the development of machinery and industry and the formation of a modern day city uh, over the course of this series. And that is going to be a, a huge point that I want to keep uh, returning to as we kind of discuss this. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. So we're getting deep today. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, the, the first scene, it opens up as so many avatar episodes do up in the sky, the gang, on Appa, and they do a little bit exposition to kind of bring us up to speed, talking about how Suki is in uh, Yudao, which was the uh, city where the events of The Promise mm -hmm. took place, um, that Toph is now an executive partner at Earth and Fire Industries, uh, the company that her father founded and was kind of the subject of mm -hmm. the rift. Um, and she became an executive partner uh, partner after the events of the uh, after the events of the rift um, and then her father's factory which used to be in a small village with just one street and three shops has changed a lot and is now named cranefish town mm. um yeah so like i want to get your initial thoughts of like when they were kind of bringing everything up to speed and kind of uh setting the stage of making this a direct connection to the events of the rift and setting the stage here. Well, I, admittedly, I was kind of glad for a little bit of a recap as to everything that was going on because it'd been a while since I'd read the other comics as well. So, kind of getting that was just sort of recontextualizing what had happened in the world so far. Um, the mentioning of Suki in New Dell. Um, Suki, as most everyone probably knows, is one of my most favorite characters in Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, hashtag Suki deserves a lot better. Um, and to hear her mentioned and still being involved in the storyline, even if it's kind of at a distance, um, was great. Especially to the fact that everyone forgets about Suki, but at least this time, no one forget will forget about Suki because she is being mentioned and remembered here as she should be. Um, <laughs> and the bringing up of uh, Cranefish Town, which as Sokka does bring up, is it's not the best name in the world. Um, <laughs> it's just I remember reading it and I'd be like, "Really, Cranefish Town? Like, but just why? What? Why? Why? Who get? Was it like a focus group who came up with this name? Because everyone knows focus groups are not a good way to go. They're very biased and terrible at decisions. But what do we? What do we have around here? Do we have? What, okay, we've got mountains. We got the ocean. Hey, what about those cranefish? Uh, yeah, those cranefish that oh, are that's here. That's really neat. That that man's a genius. <laughs> that is the name of the town. It is decided. <laughs> oh uh, and what's great is that you know they're setting the stage here, yeah. and then we get the first shot of what we know now as the peninsula of Republic City. I, I mean, I remember this was one of the first. Um, like preview images that was released for this mm -hmm. comic series. And I remember nearly like gasping at this site and just seeing that like, Oh my God, we are actually going to get the story of how Republic city is born because we see this immense, like incredibly modern city in Legend of Korra and we know that Aang and Zuko built it together in a way and that there was a lot going on there mm -hmm. but like 
we don't know how we don't know the origins and now it's like oh we're getting that now and it's just so exciting to see that it's coming we're getting the story (laughs) the excitement is real (laughs) (laughs) oh but no i totally get i totally get what you meant about the first visual it was just it's it's gorgeous so we get the gang, they're flying over Cranefish Town now. And one of the first things we hear is how it's Aang talking about how shocked he is by how much it has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, in the rift, we saw that this land uh, held a special significance to the air nomads. Um, there was a whole conflict with, uh, you know, this was a, a place where they celebrated Avatar Yang Chen. Um, there was a spirit here that they paid reverence to, um, Lady Tianhai, who, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get too deep into the rift, but I will just say, check out the rift. There's definitely a lot of like kind of threads that connect that those details. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter, what we need to be concerned with in this is that this was a, this was a place of special uh, significance. Um, and at the end of the rift, he accepted this idea of like impending change but now he is faced with the reality of it all and just there's i think there's it's so interesting because there's that difference of being like okay yeah you know change is coming that's okay i'm okay with it and then you like go back and you're like whoa uh that actually it's all happening and it can feel very overwhelming yeah and we definitely get that sense with and like i think this is what makes Aang such a really interesting and kind of relatable character is that he's really affected by the things around him. He's very open with his emotions and what he's thinking and feeling. And we definitely get the sense of that in this, that you can kind of sense this sort of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, kind of just the sadness of it all. Like he's glad that there are people who are finding a new life in this place, but he just remembers what it used to be like. It's kind of being in that split mind of this wasn't what it was like when I, just a few years ago for him, really. Mm. Um, which is yeah, very forlorn. Yeah. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so the gang arrives. Um, and it's funny. Cause like Sokka is like, he's like, ah, oh, it's like no fanfare. Like for the arrival of Team Avatar, um, but clearly we see that <laughs> uh, the townspeople are not super pleased. Um, mm-hmm. There's this great frame where everyone there is just staring at them, um, in which Sokka encourages Ang to do uh, the thing, uh, which I love how you noted in the notes. Very classic Korra reference. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and Sokka says, you know, the bending thing that makes people foam at the mouth and accept us as one of their own. <laughs> and Aang, uh, and then Aang proceeds to do his whirly ball trick. And they're like, uh, does he not realize that we've seen bending before? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sorry, you can no longer win over a town just by doing like a little trick like that. <laughs> no, no. It's just, uh, yeah. Oh, God, I loved it. Just the look on his face is like, oh, right. Okay. I'll move along then. It's nice, yes, you. So, oh, he just looked like such a sad little puppy just afterwards. It's like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> uh, um, so Lao Beifang, Toph's father, uh, makes his entrance with uh, quite a few tough-looking guards and uh, clearly is more about seeing Aang than his daughter. Uh, Toph is like, 
okay, I guess like you just didn't want to see me. You just wanted to see the avatar. I see what's going on here. Um, in which Lau talks about how, yes, the city has expanded, but there's no formal government yet. Um, Lau and other business leaders have formed what he has called the Business Council, uh, another name that Saka is incredibly disappointed with. As he should be. It's a <laughs> terrible name. What? I... Stop with the focus groups, Cranefish Town. It clearly doesn't work, okay? <laughs> Um, and he talks about there's some issues that they're going to need help with uh, that Aang will specifically be able mm-hmm. to help them with. Um, but again, it just it was so striking to me. It's just like this is the idea of a city already this large and there's no formal yeah. government in place. It's like throughout this whole part one, I was like, you know, so many so many things would be solved if you had yeah. if you had government <laughs> like, did, here. Did you not plan this ahead? Did you? Did you not think, like, looking at your town, there are a lot of people here. You know, we should probably have someone deciding, you know, that they're okay, that, that they get some form of, like, maybe healthcare or welfare. Now nah, we'll leave them to it. We'll just, we'll just hope for the best, you know. I'm sure they'll be fine. It's all good. You know, where the wind <laughs> takes them, it's all good. So we get this, uh, of course, this opening scene uh, with, uh, you know, Conference, you know, they're kind of talking there with Lao, and then we see Sokka spy a helmet off in the distance, and so we get this wonderful scene of Sokka and the oh wolf helmet. Um, I love this interaction so much because it it's so reminiscent of like Sokka and the Earth Kingdom bag oh in the gosh. Blind Bandit. That would, uh, <laughs> does it go with my belt? I had to. I'll, I'll wear it anyway. <laughs> I feel like we figured out who the fashionista is of of the gang, and that is that is soccer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I I love how uh, the shopkeeper kind of like feeds them this like line of bull about it. It's like, oh yes, this uh, this helmet belonged to uh, one of the great chiefs of the Southern Water Tribe, oh. and Sokka's like at first like uh, who like being very inquisitive, but then all she needs to say is you know. You look like the man who was born to wear this helmet. And immediately it goes to this straight on shot of Sokka. The lighting oh in the background God. is like this orange dramatic lighting with like shadows being cast yeah. on him. And he's like, I am the man who was born to wear this helmet. Oh my God. It was, oh, it was pretty. All I needed from that scene was Ang to come up and be like, Yes, yeah, Sokka, you're the man. And just like hype the hell out of him during that whole scene. That would have been like, top bromance sort of bro attitude there it would have, uh, that, yeah no wicked and he is Sokka is the man he is the man well we definitely do get you know Aang is definitely up there he's not quite like you know max level hype man <laughs> but uh you know he's still come up there and he's like being a supportive shopper and he's just like Sokka I think you I think you have to buy this helmet <laughs> and uh but quickly this very fun interaction is cut short um, as suddenly there seems to be a showdown happening in the street behind them. Uh, quickly, the shopkeeper closes up their uh, <laughs> their shop, and then we see an earthbending and firebending gang face off. Um, some words are exchanged, and there starts to you know almost be a clash mm-hmm. here. And then Ang tries to come in and negotiate. Um, of course he does. <laughs> but then Toph 
<laughs> yes, he is trying to be peaceful. He's trying to be, you know, do his avatar mm-hmm. thing. And then here comes Toph <sighs> doing her Toph thing. And she creates a massive stone wall between them in which she says, there's only one language these guys understand, and that's cracking skulls. So get talking. <laughs> oh, you know what? Her embodiment in the Ember Island players is right. Tough means tough. And she is tough. <laughs> she knows what is up. I'm just, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, it, it. You know, and just again, in such a short period of time, we're getting such, the, like, the, the writing in terms of, like, the voice of the characters it's so spot on like it's Sokka with the with the wolf helmet uh you know Aang trying to be negotiating and then you know Toph being oh, Toph it's yeah. like it feels it feels yeah. so right it just, it um, just shows... so during the fight one I'm oh, sorry <laughs> I was just gonna say it just shows how well Faith really did her research into this series you just everyone feels like themselves which is always what you want to read because these are the characters we've we know and love and we're seeing the characters we know and love in this in this book and it's just it's brilliant so during the fight one earthbender uh, gets knocked to the side as uh Sokka Lau and the other non-benders are off to the side um and then we see this guy who gets knocked into this building say out of the way non-benders this isn't a fight fit for the likes of you Oof. here's where we see Faith laying out the foundation for the conflict of this whole storyline mm-hmm. benders versus non-benders it is clear how separate they are in this situation this is a bender on bender fight and the non-benders are sequestered away and are like kind of overwhelmed in the midst of this mm-hmm. you know very crazy situation even Sokka says like i'm gonna let the benders do their thing yeah. you know this is more their <laughs> their their thing um but from this uh, Earthbender's reckless assault, uh, the building begins to collapse. Um, Toph tries to hold it up, but then Aang swoops in to save her, and the building falls. Uh, the fallout is met with the gang realizing how you know, shoddy the craftsmanship of the housing was, and the families that are now without homes. Um so this this is where I want to kind of, you know, again, it's laying the foundation of a lot of these points that we wanted to focus on. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is this is very much tying into the economic rise of Cranefish Town. Mm-hmm. And I would make an argument that this byproduct and the scene of this shoddy housing and kind of what's going on here is that this is a byproduct of kind of the capitalistic rise of Cranefish Town. Mm-hmm. As you're getting more markets, as you're getting more goods and you're getting all of these factories in here, you're getting an influx of people, uh, fast development, um, but no go- uh, no government oversight and poorly built and unregulated housing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's very much the reason why you have to have a local government to be able to come in because they have to be able to make sure that the people who are living there are like, taken care of yes. because at the end of the day, companies are going to do one thing. They want to make sure that their profits are meeting, you know, and then their bottom line is doing well. Yeah. And I think that it, that's the byproduct. Yeah. And this is where the question comes in. Do these, do the people in the town, do they have unions? Do they have like this? Like, I know it sounds like slightly jokey thing, but like, do they actually have unions? Do they have like a c- civilian representative or anything like that? Like, are these people actually being looked after? Do they, do they know their rights in a way, or are they kind of being kept similar to like 
what's going on in Basing Say, where no one really knows anything, depending on which um, lower ring that or which ring they're in. Like the further in you are, the less mm. you know, but the further out you are, the less well sent like um, sanctity of life you have, but the more knowledge you have of the outside world. Um, mm. And just kind of Cranefish Town actually kind of gives this sense of Basing Say in a way, like these people in this sort of are kind of like in the lower ring they have no no real way of living they're living in shoddy housing they have no wealth we don't know how their general health is if they're living in such terrible and poor conditions um and from the reactions of the people afterwards as well it seems like it's a regular occurrence for houses to collapse because none of them seem to react in too much of a negative way it's kind of like oh this again and then just kind of get on with dealing with mm. the situation so it makes you wonder how often has have these houses failed on them and how often have new yeah. terrible ones being re rebuilt because they've got no other form of better housing or education to make better houses or ask for better accommodation and uh, it's just yeah it's just it's crazy but really brilliant how well yeah. they brought it in into the story and the visuals and the character actions and body language of it all. It's, it's just well done. And, and I think it's, again, it's laying the foundation of Legend of Korra in Republic mm. City being a modern city um, because a modern city is going to be dealing with more modern problems. Uh, you know, obviously there is some similarities. I definitely agree with you with like Bossing Say. But again, it's like we are seeing technological innovation and industry happening so quickly, mm. unlike it has happened before, seemingly in other parts of the world. Um, so Ang and Toph, they offer to help, um, but they are met with the stubborn resilience of the non-benders who used to live in those homes. And they tell them flat out, benders did this. I don't need benders to help me rebuild it. Um and it's just like Aang is so incredibly frustrated in this. And I, I saw that you kind of noted that in your notes too. It's just like, it's crazy. So could you, can you speak a little bit about like how you kind of read into that scene? Yeah, no, of course. Uh, I totally agree that you can see how frustrated and kind of confused he is at the situation. Because this is the first time that he's ever had someone refuse his help. Um, especially based on the fact that he is a bender, which is something that makes him special in a way, especially considering he's the avatar. He's like the extra special. So it kind of sets up like what we know later on as well. But just seeing the kind of the shock and how he reacts to this, it's just really interesting to his character because it is something that he's never experienced before. Um, and he's got to figure out how to deal with that and deal with, the fact that there are people who won't always like just like him whether it be as an avatar or just as a bender in general and it was just it was really fascinating to see so we get ang and Sokka. they decide to uh they want to go to the business council meeting take up lao's offer and uh katara and toff uh, decide to go to earth and fire industries uh to check on the factory um and, and i i really want to take a moment because there there's like this happens throughout this entire series, but we really kind of see uh, see it first almost in this part here. Katara and Aang, in the way that their relationship develops, it felt so right 
in this series. Um, I, I absolutely love the way that they're drawn in this comic series and the expression that you know, Wartman captures of them, like looking at each other. Mm-hmm. It's it feels it's so heartwarming and it feels very real. And I saw that you also were able to kind of pick up on that. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. And I think this is this book is actually the first one that I really enjoyed the portrayal of their relationship because i i felt especially kind of with the writing and the visuals in the previous ones it came off as a quite cringy in the way especially like when the mm. what was it they used to call each other like like sweethearts or Sweetie. sweetie and stuff i yeah. remember the first time i read it i was like right i need to put this down and go throw up somewhere just like it was too much but this is just <laughs> <laughs> and it was, this was just it was so subtle and sweet it's kind of it's like they were already in that sort of old married couple sort of aspect of their relationship and it felt more real to who they were as people for them to be that comfortable with each other and just kind of their normal selves just with an extra level of care and it was just oh it was so cute it got the feels going and everything oh my gosh <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I, I and i think it's great because you know it's like we get to see you know obviously you know it just it's you get to see kind of a natural progression mm. of how things evolve uh, for them. Um, so the the scene transitions, um, and we get kind of a uh, this great scene of like the ostrich horse drawn carriage mm. of uh, Ang and Sokka um, getting a ride to the business council. And I wanted to be able to take a second to talk about uh, the subject of art uh, because there's this great shot. Uh, it's a large frame of them in the cart, and we see a huge part of the city. Um, there's a great use of color tones of brown, red, and orange. And it's interesting because it the color tones almost make everything seem so amalgamous. Uh, it's all kind of all intertwined and together, but the details are highlighted by the line work um, mm-hmm. where we really get to see that. And I, I think it's such a great uh, reflection of Ang's observation when he says the city, it's, so overwhelming i can't believe it's grown this much in such a short time um and i just i love when you get you know a moment in the writing that pairs so well with the visuals and i think it really is a testament to um faith and peter working so well together on this oh definitely definitely it's just it's just meld so well together you get that that feeling of what ang is feeling in the moment from the artwork and the words together and it just you can just feel his his confusion and his just everything that he's feeling at the moment just from the coloring and from the writing it's just it's yeah it's so well done i completely agree and Lau talks about the rush of people uh, about um but the lack of jobs for benders um kind of setting the stage mm-hmm. here uh he's talking about how you know because there's a lack of jobs for benders it's making them uh you know resort to crime to make a living um and then he says skilled non-benders are being given the jobs thanks to the technological developments of earth and fire industries and other companies like them um again I just want to point this out. Lack of government oversight and regulation. When you don't have, you know, certain people being able to be represented, like you were saying, if there's no unions, if there's no <laughs> anything like this, that like, you know, who is advocating for them? And would you rather have a union who's going to come in to be able to talk that or like have these people resort to crime because they don't have a way mm. to make a living? 
<sighs> my goodness. We just need to sit down the business council and tell them what they're doing wrong. Just like, guys, just, just think a little bit. Are you doing the right thing here? Do you really know what you're doing? I'm going to go with no. So let's find <laughs> someone who does. <laughs> Well, I, I like how you noted here in your notes saying that, you know, uh, we see the kind of the benders um, in Republic City with like Mako's mm. lightning bending. Um, and uh, can, can you talk like a little bit about that? Because I know one of the things we want to focus on was this kind of connection to uh, Legend of Korra. Yeah, no, of course. Um, I, I think the interesting part with this was that it was benders who were the ones struggling to find work. And I mean, in Legend of Korra, we don't see much of the side of non-benders in terms of like work employment and such. But um, as we see in Legend of Korra, like Mako is at a, a, fa- a power factory, I'm guessing, who uses his lightning bending specifically within that factory. They only hire firebenders with lightning bending abilities. Um, whereas here there's work specifically for the non-benders. So it just, it shows this divide between the two of them. So as to like work availability and skill level and the kind of the divide between benders and non-benders being based on that possibly even led to this divide between the groups of people in general because there are some who will be able to do some kind of work because they are benders whereas non-benders won't be able to and vice versa so it kind of leaves the split between these two groups no matter what time period it is even if it's modern um, Republic City, there's still going to be this split between them. So it's just really interesting to see it from the other side of Benders not finding work. Hi, everyone. Colin here. Just want to take a quick break in the middle of this episode to tell you about a really exciting thing that's going to be coming up this December. We are going to be launching our official Patreon page. Um, as you know, we've been doing this podcast for over a year and a half now, um, and it has been very much a labor of love to bring all my friends together to talk about Avatar and bring you folks discussion and content to revisit these shows. The expenses have been coming out of my own pocket. It's been something I have wholeheartedly enjoyed because it has been a fulfilling creative experience. But this isn't just about sustaining the podcast. It's also about improving it and bringing you even more content. So that's what our Patreon is all about. So if you're not familiar with it, Patreon is a way to directly support an artist, a podcast, a YouTuber, a variety of different things um, as they create new content. Uh, In order to become a patron, you have to pledge a certain dollar amount per month. Uh, So look, We understand you have a lot of other expenses, plenty of things to spend your money on. So that's why we created a variety of different levels of patronship. So what does this mean? What do you get out of a Patreon for the Legend of Portalcast? So as I was saying, you have to pledge a certain dollar amount and Patreon has levels or tiers. So we have a level or tier as it's called on Patreon starting at just $1 the foaming mouth guy tier. (laughs) So if you're cool with giving us just $1 a month, uh, you will get a shout out on our podcast and your name will be listed on our website as one of our sponsors who is helping to keep this podcast running. Um, However, if you feel like you have a little more to give, um, we have some really awesome bonus content, exclusive merchandise, and raffles to win some really cool prizes. 
Uh, for $5, you will be one of our wandering nomad patrons singing the sweet songs of Secret Tunnels. Uh, so you will receive a shout-out, uh, your name on our website, as well as access to our monthly live stream episode watch-alongs. Uh, we'll be watching episodes from Avatar and Korra and interacting with you on the stream to talk about it. We're going to be scheduling these kind of live streams and uh, basically a way to kind of almost do a live discussion of an episode with you in the moment. Um, this is something I've wanted to do for a very long time. We used to do this way back in the day with the Avatar portal back when Ustream was a thing before before all this Twitch and periscope and all those back in the old days we had to run up on dial up internet it was hard times but the stream happened nonetheless regardless <laughs> we are going to be doing these really fun live streams and we would love for you to be a part of it um so that brings us to our next tier uh, if you can spare ten dollars a month you will be one of our ember island players patrons uh, you will receive all of what i just listed um, so that's going to be name on the website, shout out in the podcast, access to our monthly live stream, as well as access to our episodes of Harmonic Convergence. It's going to be our exclusive bonus podcast series where we talk about fandom crossovers as well as content suggested by you. So you will receive a private RSS feed from the Patreon website. So wherever you download your podcast from, you will get an exclusive link to listen to this only if you are a Patreon member. Um, so what are some of the things we're going to talk about? I don't know. Like what happens if we compare Azula with Queen Cersei of Game of Thrones? Who would win in a fight? Sokka versus Callum of the Dragon Prince? I don't know. And would Kuvira's giant mech stand a chance against a Gundam wing fighter? Those are the type of things that we're going to be talking about in this new series, and it is exclusively to our $10 and up patrons. On top of all of that, you are also going to be entered in a raffle to be a guest on either Legend of Portalcast or Harmonic Convergence to discuss an episode, a crossover, or a topic of your choosing. So if you've ever wanted to be on the show and you've ever wanted to join us for discussion, then this is your chance. Uh, we are going to do basically a monthly raffle uh, where we're going to select a different member of a $10 or up tier, and we are going to pick it out. We'll talk with you, figure out what the topic is going to be. We'll schedule a time to record, and you'll be one of our featured guests on the episodes. I love being able to talk to different folks, different perspectives, and hearing what their input is on a given topic or an episode. So, Finally, we have our final and highest tier. That is our $20 Republic City Council tier. Now look, I understand $20 is a lot to pledge, but we have some really cool stuff to get to offer you. On top of everything I listed, the shoutouts, names on the website, live stream, harmonic convergence, raffle to be a guest, you will also receive a Legend of Portalcast sticker and an enamel pin, as well as entered into a monthly raffle to win Avatar and Korra merch and comics, t-shirts from Box Lunch, library editions of the different comics, and plushies of Appa, Momo, or Pabu, and tons of other stuff because there's some really cool Avatar merch out there. Um, we're going to be doing that every month, uh, so a given $20 patron will be picked at random to receive one of these really cool prizes. And we're going to be doing that every month. So, 
you're probably wondering, where does my money go and how does it help the show? It's one thing to receive the perks, all of that stuff, but why are we doing this in the first place? So the funds for this Patreon are broken down into three main investments. The first is to help us fund the website and keep the podcast going. That's bare bones. Make sure that we can kind of pay for the website costs and the domain hosting. The second is for our artist expenses, uh, whether it's our co-host Casey creating new merch, a sound editor to help polish our episodes, or new microphones for our co-hosts. Um, by becoming a patron, you'll be directly supporting the creative folks who help make this podcast unique. Um, I have always been a firm believer of whoever artists or folks that you're working with is to pay them fairly. And that's what I want to be able to do uh, because it is a wonderful thing to get to encourage the community um, and also be able to uh, reach out to other artists. Cause as I'm sure you've seen on Instagram and all the other places, there are some incredible artists out there and we are looking to do some commission stuff and we are looking to do exclusive merchandise featuring their art and that is something we want to not only collaborate with them on, but pay them fairly and be able to make that something that they can benefit from. The third area of investment is something that's focusing a little bit more on the long term. Actors, writers, and artists from Avatar and Korra uh, typically attend Comic-Cons across the country. The leftover money we don't use for running the podcast and paying our creatives will be saved up to help get us to Comic-Cons. There, we'll be able to do interviews and create videos featuring fans of the show, cosplayers, and folks who worked on Avatar and Korra. With a new Netflix show coming out, we've got some really exciting potential. That means there's going to be a lot of more press releases, panels that are going to be happening at these Comic-Cons. And the thing is, we want to be there. Because, yeah, you can hear about it afterwards and maybe someone on Twitter will be able to post it. But we want to be able to do exclusive interviews and all kinds of stuff. And this isn't something that's going to be limited to our patrons. This is the type of stuff that we want to be able to share with everyone regardless. But that is where that money is going in that third main investment. So that's the breakdown. I appreciate you guys kind of, uh, you know, listening in through this, um, but I was really excited to get to talk about it. But I have one last thing to talk to you about. On Sunday, December 8th, we're going to be doing a preview of all of our special bonus content. That means you'll see an episode of Harmonic Convergence in your feed and on our website. We'll also be doing a live stream watch along of an episode of Avatar and Legend of Korra. I'm going to be doing some polls on Instagram to figure out which ones people are most interested in, and then we'll kind of carry it down from there. This is going to give you a feel for what the perks will look like and the kind of content that will be exclusive to our patrons. Guys, thank you so much for considering this. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, if you are able to, awesome. If you can only donate for a month or two months, I totally understand. There's some uh, other podcasts that I am personally a patron for, and I love the experience, but there have been times where I've had to stop, and we understand that. But this is just something to see if we can help make the podcast grow and get you folks even more involved in our community. Uh, we're also going to be looking into the idea of starting our own Discord channel as well, but that's going to kind of come later on down the road. So again... To learn more about the different perks available to our patrons, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com, and that's spelled P-A-T-R-E 
patreon.com slash legend of Portalcast. Um, I'll be kind of plugging this throughout. And like I said, we'll be uh, advertising leading up to that kind of Patreon day on December 8th. Thank you guys so much. And uh, let's get back to the episode. Uh, so that brings us to the business council. Uh, we have this great scene uh, where we see that the council is separated. Mm-hmm. Benders on one side, non-benders on the other. Um, we kind of see that they wanted to get started without Lau, uh, possibly indicating that they don't want his input or that he's kind of a divisive figure in the business mm-hmm. council. Um, and Lau makes his proposition uh, that they ban bending in the streets to curb the violence against non-benders and the room explodes with debate and i mean this is just like you know we we're getting this scene where it's you know there's obviously there's a lot of stuff going on here in cranefish town there's a lot of tension there's a lot that's going on socioeconomically and then it this is lao's idea of being able to protect the people that he feels like he should be representing Mm. um but clearly it's not really keeping in mind the perspective and everything of benders but i want to get your thoughts on this because i think that this is a very important scene that sets uh that is a big tonal shift uh for the rest of the series Oh, definitely. And it it definitely kind of sets off the motion as to kind of what happens in the rest of the series. But I remember when I was reading this, the first thing I kind of thought, especially with the debate there and like the non-benders and benders suddenly roaring up against each other in that council meeting, it just made me think that with The Legend of Korra and obviously with the first book being about the equalist movement, that from the stance of it, from when the show was on, it wasn't a new thing. It was just suddenly gaining more traction. It may wonder if kind of something like this is what actually led to the equalist movement. Um, and with Lau's words, with, with basically what he says, he sounds like Hiroshi Sato when he was talking to Asami about being mm. an equalist and explaining his reasons why. And it was just, it was so reminiscent of other tragedies as well in, in our world. Um, including like the start of wars and conflicts and issuing laws against certain citizens, um, leading to maybe even curfews later on, which again we saw in Legend of Korra when benders were putting a curfew on non-benders because of the equalists. So it's kind of like an opposite. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like an imbalance is kind of like the opposite side of what we saw in book one of Legend of Korra. We're just seeing it from the bending perspective. Definitely. And it's just, it's so fascinating to see. And um, it's kind of like, you unconsciously, you even start to take sides a little bit of like, well, Lau's kind of, he makes a little bit of sense. Like bending is what's causing violence in the streets and violence against people. So it would make sense to maybe bend it, uh, ban it in the streets. And then you're like, wait, no, this is what's going to lead to the trouble. You shouldn't be agreeing with him about something that's very much a bad idea, but it gets you questioning everything. Absolutely. And and it's interesting because I think that, you know, when I saw this, like immediately what becomes a, uh, at least I, I know, especially like in, 
the U.S., uh, it, like what it echoes a little bit of is like it's the idea of the gun debate and gun control. Mm. And there's kind of something there that's just being like, okay, if this is causing the violence, like we need to get these off the streets, which like, you know, politics aside, you can say that for guns, mm. but the main difference here is that benders, they are carrying those quote unquote weapons exactly. all the time. It is a part of it is a part mm. of who they are. And it is not something that they can necessarily, you know, turn <laughs> off <laughs> as much. And it's like, you know, and it's like it's like basically telling people like, look, you can't you can't be your full self mm. out on the streets. And that is a mm. tall order to be able to enforce. And of course, I think it makes perfect sense with the way that the the bending side of the council reacts with this. Um, they, they are, they are not happy about it. Mm. So it, it, the, the sheens, uh, the scene shifts and we get back over to uh, earth and fire industries. Uh, Toph and Katara uh, meet up with uh, Satoru, who is the event, the inventor and kind of founding member. Uh, he was a big mm. character in the rift. Uh, he was responsible for helping develop like, the forklift um, and a bunch of other like great innovative technology. He's very much a like Hiroshi Sato predecessor in the sense of like inventions and yeah, yeah not the evil side. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so he, he explains that they have uh, these new guards um, after benders uh, attack the factory. But as they're kind of, you know, having this kind of walk and talk dialogue, Katara, we see notices something. And she says how all of the benders and non-benders are gone. In the rift, uh, we saw this beautiful double-page frame of the different employees working together on this like incredibly complex like kind of conveyor belt of you know a bunch of ore was coming in. The earthbenders were crushing it and condensing it. The firebenders were fueling the fire to go in. There were non-benders operating some of like you know the different machines to help out. And you know, but now all of that has been replaced by more efficient mm. machinery. And again, I think this is this is again very much. It's a byproduct of this kind of rise of capitalism in this part of the world. The need for greater efficiency to improve your bottom line will result in finding cheaper means of production. You want to be able to provide the products that you can at a more affordable cost and so that you can stay in business, reinvest, and be able to mm. expand. But it's crazy, I thought, how this especially resonates with where we're currently headed and with like uh, more of kind of like yeah. our real world situation there's a lot with the debate yeah. of like automation uh automation taking away jobs in factories at least i know in yeah. my experience across the u.s um and but then you have competition uh the other people they're they're adopting these similar business models uh because that's the way they have to adopt yeah. to be able to keep up because if somebody else is doing something that's more efficient they already have a leg up on you. So that means you have to kind of follow suit, um, which of course means fewer jobs across the board. Um, so I, I want to get your take on this, uh, your thoughts. And if you kind of had like an additional perspective of kind of your experience living in the UK and how, if that's any kind of different from mine living in the US. 
Mm. Well, um, I, I do want to do initial sidebar. So uh, for Satoru, pretty convinced he could possibly actually end up being Su Yin's father in uh, in Legend of Korra, with especially the, the little the absolutely. Little yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Toka fans are going to come for me, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the mini fl- the sort of flirting between him and Toffin uh, gives me the sort of vibes, but I'll, I'll move on because like, they, they are going to come for me, so I'm going to move on very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I definitely agree. Like It's the same here in the UK at the moment. Um, lots of work, especially employees, are either being incredibly overworked into the point where they have to leave so um automation is then coming in out of necessity or they are literally just being dropped off the bat for automation because it's faster it's quicker it's more uh innovative that's kind of it's making things go faster and quicker and we live in such a consumerist society that we need things faster and quicker like amazon's next day delivery in our minds, we kind of don't think this is just one person who we're literally like working to the bone. It's just in our heads, it's, oh, it's next day delivery. It's so much more convenient for me. We just kind of don't think about the human side of it. And we kind of see mm. this in this aspect as well. And even Satoru is kind of thinking the same. He feels almost guilty for it, that his machines are leading to a lack of work for benders and his worry that he's made things worse which mm. i think shows that he is he's a great guy and um, a brilliant father figure uh, you might say um, <laughs> 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 um but i think what was interesting in terms especially of the avatar universe is that this is kind of the first time that benders as a whole are kind of no longer necessary for things to move forward for them, being benders was mm. everything, and it was necessary for everything. But now non-benders are able to live comfortably and easily without their support and their special abilities. And that kind of would be worrying to a bender because they'd start thinking, will I be necessary in future? Will they need me around? And it's just interesting how this kind of plays into that conflict between the two groups. Absolutely. And if you feel your way of life is being threatened, you are going to try to do everything you can to either try to preserve it or stop the forces that are taking it away. Mm. So we we get, I love how we're kind of bouncing back between uh, the business council Mm. and earth and fire industries here, because these scenes are all, it's all related, but we're getting a nice balance going between them. And we go back to the council scene. Uh, Lau is saying, Hey, I know it's complicated, but the avatar is here to guide us. (laughs) And there's, there's this great, uh, like there's this great layout. It's on uh, page 39 of these three panels. Uh, the top horizontal panel is Aang at this kind of pulpit. And the bottom two panels below it are the two sides of the council mm. all looking at him. And to me, this was such a encapsulation of his role as the Avatar, not during wartime. Mm. He is a mediator during times of struggle, but now in a rapidly developing world. 
Um, which is, you know, again, this is this is we are seeing now Aang's role, and we've been seeing it across the five books, um, you know, in that that previously happened. But I think that now, especially yeah. here in Cranefish Town, at this hub of technology and economic progress, it's really distilled in that. In a lot of the previous books, we're kind of in a way preparing him for this. Um, and Aang steps forward and is like, he is against the bending ban saying that, you know, this is not right uh, to be able to kind of, you know, force someone to resist or, you know, push down their identity, but instead encourages a police force to ensure mm. law and order. Um, and we get the introduction of Lilling. Uh, she steps forward agreeing uh, and offers her security team to act as the initial wave mm-hmm. um, of kind of this police force. Uh, Lau brings up kind of what I thought was a logical rebuttal, uh, saying, you know, hey, like, we should get some non-benders as part of this team. Uh, but Aang has, and I would argue in this point, an inherent bender bias. And he kind of sees, like, okay, Benders are going to be able to solve this problem effectively. Mm-hmm. We'll add the non-benders afterwards because clearly it's like if we need to, if it's like shutting down violence, the most effective violence suppressors are benders because it's like you put someone who can lift rocks against someone who can't, or you do that. It's just like obviously you're going to get the person who can yeah. lift rocks. <laughs> um, and of, yeah, but I mean, of course, this is exactly mm-hmm. what Lilling was hoping for, uh, and it's shown by her expectant, victorious gesture uh, following the unanimous vote by the business council. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to get kind of your take on this scene and how that kind of progresses, starting with Aang's, uh, you know, moment here and suggesting to Lilling stepping forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely agree with what you were saying about Aang stepping forward into this new sort of avatar role outside of war um and like i i am going to be a bit cheesy here because uh the moment he stepped forward and kind of took took this on and began to speak like a leader i was like oh arang's all grown up he's doing grown-up things he <laughs> knows what he's doing he's such a he's such a powerful boy go away and i was like, I was like his <laughs> mini cheerleader in his head and i was like wow i need to calm down um <laughs> But it's just such a lovely moment just to see him really step into this role even more so, considering how we know from the show he really wasn't into being the Avatar, but he's now fully accepted this and he continues to accept it. And I think this just kind of shows that he's willing to be the Avatar and he wants to be the Avatar to find peace. Um, But, yeah, with the bias that you mentioned, you can definitely see it come up and even a little bit in Legend of Korra later um, because with his bias by having Bender's combat against crimes predominantly at current in, um, in Cranefish Town um, it's predominantly committed by Bender's and it can lead to further mistrust of non-Bender's in this police force um, it's kind of like the police in our in our world now there is such a distrust between police officers and general citizens because of the way in which things currently work and that's with police boards being filled with 
police officers who are deciding the fate of another police officer. They're not going to be mm. unbiased, really, because it's one of their own, as they often say, which leads to the falling respect and faith in the system from the public. And I think this is what's going to lead to the same thing in this avatar world. Non-benders are going to see benders supporting other benders, but legally now. Mm-hmm. And with Legend of Korra as well, we kind of see that that's still carried on. We don't actually see many non-benders in the police force in Republic City. We see a few. Um, I think it's in season two they kind of pop up. I can't remember their names. They're the ones who like to eat the jelly donuts a lot. And I think that kind of sums up the sort of level of respect <laughs> that people seem to have mm. for non-benders in the police force. They they were pretty much useless. They didn't really do anything. And I think this is where a possible failing on Aang's part in this moment later affected Republic City's police force. Um, so it was interesting to see the sort of relation between the two series in this one moment um but yeah no it was it was interesting especially i was like the moment he mentioned police force i was like oh i can see where this is going but it may not be good (laughs) we'll see what happens (laughs) and hope for the best that he's made the right decision because ang we still love and support you but you know just take a moment to think about it a little bit um and you know look at look at Liling's expression when someone turns away (laughs) After getting their way, make sure you look at their facial expressions. It says a lot. Definitely. <laughs> um, so Sokka and Aang, they head towards Earth and Fire Industry. Um, they're kind of reflecting on the meeting. Um, and uh, they seem to trust Liling. Um, again, not yep. seeing that facial expression. <laughs> um, but they realize that this is something that's going to take more than one day to resolve. Initially, they thought this was just going to be a quick stop. But that's definitely not mm. going to be uh, the case. Uh, and then we get this great—we get this great line from uh, from Sokka. <laughs> you know what they say: trying to stop progress is like trying to stop a lion turtle. You literally can't stop it because it's huge oh, and will crush you. <laughs> this is such prime Sokka, and Faith is just. Oh like her gosh. writing is nailing his voice. It is just she is so on point with this. And uh, when she was at Comic Con uh, at San Diego, she talked specifically about how she absolutely loves Sokka and was just so thrilled to write him. And like I think that it's it really is like it is such a truthful adaptation and a loving adaptation of a character because oh this, this is him talking. <laughs> Oh my god! Admittedly, in this moment, when he said that line, I was like, "I think we found our new Uncle Iroh. He's got some very wise words, our soccer He does <laughs> definitely." So we get uh, we get this uh, scene now where Katara and Aang kind of steal away from the rest of the gang. Um, Aang and Katara fly out of the city on Appa and towards what will eventually become Air Temple Island. Um, mm. it is, it is so crazy that we're seeing these tangible connections to Korra. Um, and it's just like this, 
them flying out there, the perspective of the island, it's everything's kind of like it's there's trees there, but we know what it's going to become. We know the significance of it. We know that there's going to be the giant Ang statue on that one other little sub island on in the bay. And it's just like there's so much kind of going on there. And but they don't lean too heavily into it. It's just mm. we recognize that as fans. Um, yeah. Just let out a little squee of excitement when you notice. You're like, oh my god! Oh my god! Yes. This is Legend of Korra! Oh my god! This is this is the island! This is the... Yeah, just yeah, fangirling all over the place. Is that kind? Is that kind of moment, guys? Is that kind of moment? So, as they're kind of walking around, Katara, she knows something's up. Um, she kind of mm-hmm. acts, or she asks uh, Ang what's kind of going on, and Ang reflects on Lady Tianhai's uh, words uh, from the rift um, that she believed in humans and their ability to still respect the land and thrive. And Katara asks, do you feel like you let her down? And Ang responds, it's more than that. This city, looking at it, feels like, like how I felt when I woke up after a hundred years in that iceberg. Everything had changed. The world was at war. The airbenders were gone. Everyone I'd known was gone. And Guitar responds, but it isn't the same as when we first met. The war is over and you don't have to face this alone. Toph, Sokka, and I are all here for you. And Aang's anxiety, like, in this moment is completely understandable. He's dealing Mm -hmm. with so much. And I love that, again, it, it is this relationship between them. It feels so real because... Katara has always been there as a support system for him. Always has. She's been the one to be able to calm him down and everything. But this is like, Mm -hmm. it is a different type of situation now where it's like he is dealing with, this isn't just like, okay, this is, you know, we're fighting for life and death. You know, we have Mm -hmm. to be able to survive. We have to be able to defeat the Fire Lord. This is just something that we have to do. Now they are in the midst of something that is, with the understanding that they are shaping the future. Mm. The decisions that they make are going to impact the world in such a profound way. And the mm. pressure that is kind of on there with that. Um, and, and I love that Katara is really remaining to be his guiding light, um, reminding yeah. him that he has support um, and that he doesn't have to shoulder this burden on his own. Um, oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, like she's basically kind of like he, he. She is his confident and sort of his shoulder to kind of take that weight he's got on his shoulders that he'll always have on his shoulders because he is the avatar, and give him a moment to put it to the side, take a moment to breathe and let out his worries to her. It's kind of like a a presentation of mental health and having someone to be there to talk to i'm not saying she's like his therapist but she's his support system and um she like she recognized that there was something going on and it just shows their close bond between them um and the amount of comfort that they have with each other that instantly he knows he can tell her what he's thinking and feeling and he won't be judged for it she won't tell him you know you need to man up you need to or anything like that that's because also she is like supreme feminist and she would never tell someone <laughs> to to man up because she knows that it's not the right thing to say 
Um, <laughs> but just that their moment together, she knows what he needs. He knows that she can support him and their moment together is just, it's so sweet and so beautiful. Mm, definitely. And, and, you know, we get this, we get this great line from Katara here. And I, I just, I love that we get this very intimate scene with them here on the island. Again, there's, there's mm-hmm. so much that is just, it is resonating because we know the future of this island and the importance to them and eventually their family. Mm. She says, you know, it's just different people trying to live their lives, fighting for their own piece of this place. And we get kind of this like little final shot of the scene and Aang says, you know, maybe there's still time to help the city grow in a way that protects and preserves. Saying this, looking out at the future location of Republic City, it is it is such a profound moment. Mm. And I, I love the reverence that faith you know gives this scene and the illustration and the framing that peter does to be able to kind of you know show that perspective of them looking out from the island towards the peninsula of where republic city will be one day yeah it's just yeah it's just so well done and faith and peter they've they know what they're doing they know kind of what we'll be seeing at the same time as looking at at it through their art we're kind of seeing both sides and from legend of Korra and from this and it's just it's brilliant i know that when i go back to watching legend of Korra, i'll be seeing this at the same moment and having this background of the story in my mind as i watch and yeah no i so well done like full props to them for doing this it's so, it is such a profound moment the scene and yeah no it's it's brilliant so the scene shifts. Um, it, it's interesting because I honestly, like, I thought when I was rereading this, I was like, oh, this is where it ends. Like, this is where part one ends. But we get, like, we get, like, a little, we get, you know, because I, I think it was important for them to be able to, you know, uh, introduce more of the conflict and how mm-hmm. that this is more going on than meets the eyes. So we get this scene where we see kind of a den of, uh, you know, these like firebending, you know, gang members and everything coming in. Mm. We see two young women step into the den of these bending thugs and they try to convince them to utilize their bending talents for something more productive um, in which they are like, we're not going to take this. And then this young woman just like takes him to town with her earth bending. And I I love the way that they drew the bending forms um, for uh, who will know as uh, Yaling. Um, It it just, it is so, it's so great. It's like, it's such clean like forms of earth bending and it's cool to see somebody else kind of, you know, doing that. Mm. And then we hear, and we see them say, it's like, Oh, so you'll listen to us now. Right. (laughs) Oh my God. The sass. You can just feel the sass in that moment as well. It's like, this wasn't um, uh, tiny. She was basically like brushing off her knuckles as well from like the dust and what she's just done. I was like, oh my God, she, she, she knows what's up. She is like a boss and she knows it. <laughs> I was, oh, it was brilliant. So, uh, you know, we get the scene uh, that was very short and then it uh, shifts again. Um, the gang uh, heading to the beach uh it, it, early in the morning 
Um, mm-hmm. And one thing that I was noticing too through my when I was going back and rereading this was that you can notice the little details, um, like in the opening panel of the scene, all of the faces of the people in the background. There are these looks of skepticism and concern towards the gang. All of these mm-hmm. people, except for I think like one like pedestrian is they're all looking at them but the way Mm -hmm. that they're shaded it's kind of like a darker shade it's those like shades of like blue and brown and orange again but like they're kind of in the background but these expressions they're like i don't trust you i don't like what you're doing here i don't like Mm -hmm. you know you being involved in this and everything um i just thought it was such a nice little touch to kind of add to that oh definitely and ang's like all right guys you know there's a lot that we obviously you know can't do right now, but there is something that we can do. And he's like, time to do a little community service. <laughs> it's like time to clean up the beach. <laughs> oh yeah, this is his idea uh, of fun. <laughs> yes, of course, it's very much an air nomad like oh. idea of fun. I feel like <laughs> I just look the look on the guy's face is like, really, you you got us up this early in the morning to clean a beach? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, everyone kind of like picks their spirits up, especially Toph, uh, because she begins the cleanup by taking all of the metal, crunching it together, and then turns it into a, into statues of herself. And we literally get this beautiful line from her where she just standing triumphantly next to this metal statue of herself, turning trash to treasure. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Toph is everything and as we can tell in legend of Korra, she she does enjoy a good statue of herself because there are there are <laughs> many <laughs> that girl is everywhere seriously though but i mean it's like it really is again it's like these connecting threads to Korra. Yeah. it's like we see these statues of toph and it's just like yeah this is where this started this is clearly like Toph being like uh yeah i am the greatest earthbender of all time and i will be immortalized <laughs> oh like, i can literally just picture her now just going around the city it's like so we're we gonna put a statue of me here no okay how about over here <laughs> like you know what if you're not gonna make one i'm gonna make one myself so you know pick and choose do you want to make one should i do it just you know let me know what you want to do because i want at least five five statues <laughs> In the main city. I can't have five. Oh, okay, three. Three. We'll do three. It's a good number. It's a good number. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you're the police chief, so... Um, yeah, okay. Um, all right. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... Ang is approached uh, by uh, two kids on the beach, uh, and they think he is uh, so cool. Um, and he's like, "Well, I'm glad that uh, you know someone is still impressed in this town by bending." <laughs> um, but then you know we get this great kind of question from Sokka, and he's like, "You know, I wonder if you'd be their hero if you were a non-bender." Mm. And I- I'll tell you what, they're like yes we get some great comedic lines from Sokka in the series but I think this is like we are truly getting like like Sokka at his best I think because he is really like he's he's taking so much of his knowledge and experience and he has this way of like really being able to see the world in this unique way because he's so he's a worldly traveler like he has been along Mm. with them since the beginning 
and he has learned so much. And yeah, he's a silly, he's a silly dude. He's going to be who he is along the way. But like, I really think that we are starting to see like that wisdom and intelligence that landed him a position as the main council member in the Republic City Council, mm-hmm. as we see in the uh, Legend of Korra flashback when they are taking um, Yakone to trial. Uh, I think there's a there's a solid reason why he's there because yeah. I think he's got he he has great perspective on things. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I remember with that moment, it, especially with his words as well, it makes me wonder if maybe one day we'll actually have someone saying to Sokka and not like a non-bender child saying to him that he is their hero because Sokka did he basically planned the whole thing for Day of Black Sun and Sozin's comet but he hardly gets any of the credit for it, which, um, you know, I'm going to start another hashtag. Hashtag Sokka is the main hero of Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> yes. No, that's that's a great point. I, I think that, you know, honestly, one of the, the things that I would really love to see um, if they can kind of continue more of these connecting threads to Korra is I, I want to see Sokka's journey like yeah. going uh because clearly he becomes this like very big player in this whole uh, you know in, in Republic City but I think what's you know again but we don't see him something happened to him and yeah. there's so much of his story that is uh to be left to be told yeah so we get uh the last kind of scene here uh nighttime at Earth and Fire Industries um the gang's asleep Toph gets up after sensing some clanking and then she discovers that the machine has been jammed. This machine that Satoru has been working on and is used to kind of get the benders out of work, it's been jammed and then subsequently explodes. Toph barely pulls up metal to shield herself in the midst of this and the gang arrives and Toph, uh, you know, and they're like, are you okay? And she's like, (laughs) like an explosion isn't going to be able to take me down. (laughs) Uh, and Toph and Aang, uh, they give chase. Um, mm. and, and I think what I loved about this is that this is seriously, this is the early beginnings of Toph, the police chief. Um, it like the delight in her face is just like saying, whoever these people are, they probably think they can lose us, but they didn't figure on me being able to track them. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so good. good. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> And it's like, you know, it really it really is just like Toph thriving in this moment of being able to like, you know what? I am a great earthbender, but it's just like there's there's things that people think that they can get away with that I have the ability to completely surpass. Mm. And I love that we get to see that here. Oh, definitely. It was oh, it was just such a great moment. And I definitely agree. Like you start to see this beginning of her journey to becoming this law and order force um and this was like the first moment oh it was just it was oh so good (laughs) yes so uh toff gets in a fight as they kind of get uh ambushed along the way uh and then ang tracks down the last guy um i love how this guy is just being like he's like (laughs) like ang corners him on a cliff and he's just like he's like all right dude just give up and the guy's like i'm gonna be the it's like do you not know who i am he's like yeah you're the avatar and it's just like i'm gonna be the one to take you down and ang's like that's cute <laughs> <laughs> and like encases him in earth uh but then the two young women that we saw earlier 
uh, Yaling and Rue um, are standing on uh, kind of uh, they're standing nearby and they sabotage the cliff and this man starts to fall. Um, but Aang is able to swoop down and save him uh, before he crashes. And, you know, we kind of get this conversation between Yaling and Rue and they're like, you know, she's like, did you really have to do that? It's like, mother said, uh, no loose ends. (sighs) (sighs) So, you know, uh, it's, it's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and they, they return home, um, and they have to confess to their mother that the man survived, but she urges them to stop arguing. Uh, we kind of just see the back of her, um, and then she turns and we realize that it is Lilling. Ah! She says what she did was for the benefit of the family. And then we get this closing line from her. Plans are now in motion. Not even the Avatar will be able to stop them. Oh! Ah! And twist. so it ends of part one. <laughs> uh, oh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That was basically my entire thought. So <laughs> at the end was just oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, I want to get uh, some of your your final thoughts on uh, this part one of Imbalance. Oh well, as um as you can possibly tell by the end bit, my initial thought was oh my god, um, <laughs> um but after that, just kind of looking through it, obviously. Even though I was kind of wow at the end with Liling revealing herself in that final line, it's kind of obvious that she will be the villain just because she has that sense about her. But that line kind of really shows actually how much of a threat that she is, which you kind of don't expect. And it was it was actually quite a little bit frightening and also reminiscent of I I keep bringing this reference up, but she was like. A, a bender well obviously Amon was a bender spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it which shame <laughs> if you haven't seen Legend of Gora what are you doing but she is the out and proud bender version of Amon and that final line mm. was like it gave me chills and a reminiscence of Amon's speeches and it's just the moment as well and with her reveal the art style that they use for it, like the the shading and kind of putting her a little bit in like a dark shade to kind of show off the fact that she is, she is a threat to be reckoned with. was just such, so well done on um, Walkman's part. And yeah, uh, it was just, it was interesting to see and kind of debate as to what her motivation may be. Cause we don't know why she's doing it. We just know that she's planning something. Um, and yeah, but it's just, is she going to stir up tensions? Is uh, she going to try and appear to be the hero so she can gain political power? We, we don't know, but it's, it, do you see one, like thinking what could happen in the, in the next book and you want to read it right now and you want to talk about it and find out what's going on. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I I definitely uh, agree. I mean, it, it was it was really it was really great to revisit this, especially uh, after having recently watched Legend of Korra. Um, as you know, we've been doing several episodes, kind of revisiting, uh, you know, season one, and it, it 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 is astounding how much of a reflection this 
this series is of that first season of Korra. Um, and I think that, like you were saying, like that last line of her, you know, kind of saying that plans are now in motion. Mm-hmm. It is definitely, it's so reminiscent of Amon, but I think it's like, it, it really is a testament to like the fact that in order for you to pull the wool over on the avatar and to be able to get away with something like this, you have to have so many of your moves planned out ahead of time. Yeah. Because I, I think it's a it's a testament to show that like we can't just compete against the avatar with brute force because everyone knows this kid defeated the Fire Lord. Mm. He is like a fully realized avatar. He is incredibly strong. It's like we can't just like fight him. So we have to do something that is going to be difficult for him to fight. Mm. And as we'll kind of see getting into part two, that that weapon, as we saw with Amon in season one, is it's the power of public opinion. Oh, yeah. It is the power of the masses and it is the power of all of these people getting behind an idea that they're passionate about that a single individual isn't going to be able to just convince them otherwise of. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's just so good. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so glad you finally got around to being able to discuss this. Um, my goodness. Oh, there's just so much, isn't there? There's, there's government failings. There's bender, non-bender tensions. There's romance and Sokka's newfound wisdom. Um, seriously, who's the <laughs> new Uncle Iroh in this series? I have no idea what's going to happen because he needs to. He he needs to get the same level of respect in terms of wisdom that our dear beloved Uncle Iroh has. Because who's lying, personal line? Think I may get that tattoo? <laughs> like, it's so profound. It needs to be forever encapsulated in a tattoo somewhere on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. and with that helmet he is officially going to become the man although he still needs to go and get that helmet <laughs> she took it she needs he needs to go buy yes. it back he does he does <laughs> uh all right uh well guys that concludes uh this episode uh thank you so much fran for joining me uh for this discussion this is so wonderful to have you back on oh god it, it's wonderful to be back i'm i'm so glad that i continue to pester you for weeks on end to let me come back at some point <laughs> <laughs> yes so uh can you uh can you tell uh listeners uh where they can find you um and uh like your social media and your youtube i can indeed uh so you guys can find me on instagram as a healthy dose of fran i am that awkward person i do have a lot of underlining um <laughs> between the the letters um and then you can find me on youtube as a healthy dose of fran as well uh where i post avatar theories percy jackson theories and basically rant every Sunday about new and different things that I am very passionate about. Um, so yeah, you guys can check me out on there. Um, and yeah, hopefully you guys like what I do. Um, and I will have a shout out for this series of podcasts for Legend of Portalcast because these guys are amazing. And go subscribe to them everywhere because they deserve all the love in the world. <laughs> and uh, it definitely goes uh, both ways, guys. Uh, make sure to uh, uh, go check out her channel and subscribe too. Um, and uh, uh, again, you can find Legend of Portalcast on Instagram and Facebook as Legend of Portalcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Portalcast Pod. 
And you can find, of course, our website, legendofportalcast.com. And just so you guys know, uh, we're going to be having some changes coming in towards the end of the year to our website. Uh, We have kind of now assembled a... uh, a pretty good collection of different episodes. And what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be creating kind of like an index library of all of our different episodes, Uh, kind of, you know, have a section where you can listen to all of Legend of Korra discussion. You can have a section where we listen to Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, you know, episode discussions or character discussions. So you'll be able to kind of look at that. So uh, we'll keep you posted as uh, as we kind of get that developed. Um, but make sure to uh, find us on iTunes, Spotify, or however you listen to your podcasts. Uh, subscribe. Uh, leave us a rating and review if you so desire. We greatly appreciate it. You should totally go do that. Go leave a review. Go leave them a review, guys. Go <laughs> leave them a review. We will love you forever. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much again for listening. Uh, but for now and until next time, let us leave.